they'd have to have a real good system that I could evacuate myself. I, I think I'd give that a shot in a heartbeat. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive. Scuba Obsessed episode 245 is recorded live June 11th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the west side of the great state of Michigan. We were, well, where, what, the heat, it's, it's melting my brain. Where it is warm today, we reached almost into the 90s, and I am not complaining. Joining me this week is Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I am not melting, and I'm enjoying the heck out of the warm weather, not hot. Yeah, it's, it's not hot, it's warm. And this is going to be bringing that fresh water, both in the big lake and in the internal lakes, up a bit. So it's probably time if you dive in the in, interior lakes, you want to consider the big lake, because I'm sure that's going to mean some algae blooms will be hitting us pretty soon here. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have a few articles that we're going to revisit. The first one uh, was not a, a, an actual revisit. It's a, a near tragedy. A British holiday maker nearly lost her leg after being hit by the boat's propeller while scuba diving off a Thai island. A 20-year-old woman was in the water off the island of Koh Tao. A British tourist recovering in the hospital after she nearly lost her right leg uh, by the boat's propeller while diving off the coast of the island. She's been identified by the media as Alice Louise Davies from Southampton, is said to be in stable condition with a severe leg injuries two days after a horrific incident occurred. Police initially said the boat's operator fled after hitting the woman, and she and other tourists were surfacing while learning to dive with Scuba Shack, a licensed company, but later told media he remained at the scene. The man reportedly employed by a different scuba diving company, Miss Davies was rescued from the water and taken to a dock where she was loaded into an ambulance and rushed to a hospital for treatment for severe lacerations, broken nose, blood loss. The propeller almost severed the woman's leg in the Tuesday at uh, incident. This is the Kashad English reported. In this uh, article, they're, they're actually showing photos from in, inside the emergency room. I know. I thought that was quite interesting. And it looks like it was right above the ankles where she got hit by the prop. Yeah. And they got a good number of people working on her. Yeah, I got five in that one part. Uh, so initially they said the the other boat operator. So she's diving off a boat. Then another boat, another dive boat hit her. And then it you seems, know what's interesting? You know what's interesting about that what's, incident? What's that? It was nighttime. Oh, take a look at the bottom pictures. Well, uh, that's dark, but that could just be. I mean, we don't know how far off the, the offshore they were. That's true, because I can see lights and stuff back here. Yeah, so uh, it is dark nighttime when they're bringing her in, and that they're showing at first is her at the dock, and then you can go and see them. So, uh, yeah, it isn't clear if it's a, a night dive or a dive that happened during the day, but that's, that's a tragedy. And, I'd, and I would say that uh, we need to create more awareness for how you should be safe around divers, but this is a dive boat operator. 
So it makes you think that maybe this diving area doesn't have good procedures? Well, I think we've talked about that before. It don't seem to be as formal and or enforced as ours are. Plus, I don't think uh, they're in a Sioux society there, or if they are, they don't have any money anyway. Yeah, what are you going to get? Yeah, so I think that's why we see more of it. But it sort of surprised me. They talked about this is in Thailand, Mm -hmm. and uh, the man that has been arrested but not charged with the crime is insured and is willing to compensate the victim. And I think that's good. Yeah, is insured and willing to compensate. Who would who would admit that in in the well, U.S. You would never admit you are willing that you would would admit guilt because your insurance company would drop you the minute you do. Well, they they still have to pay because you have it, it was in effect at the time. Uh huh. But uh, further down, they were they were talking about deaths in that aspect. And they talked about two tourists were beat to death attending a beach party in September in that area. And they talked about in December. A 22-year-old Norwegian woman died after a boat propeller struck her in the head. So this doesn't seem to be unusual in this area. So maybe a little bit of boater safety needs to be done? Uh, that and a lot of stuff. But I'm still <laughs> curious if it was at night now that I look at the picture. So It, it could, it, if, it, if nothing else. It would be nice to know if it was at night or just uh, later in the afternoon. Yeah, and he was backing up the boat, which is the way last week's people got hit, remember? Uh, oh, so so maybe this is because they said it was another dive company, one part, but maybe it was that dive, same dive company. So I was just sort of curious about that. Key item, like you said, though, serious injury, not not fatal. Doesn't sound like it's going to be um, tremendously debilitating. No, it's always a positive. Yeah. Well, and and I could see how that can happen. Uh, you know, you've got uh, it'd be it, it. There's just not enough details. It'd be nice to know. Was this the boat she was getting in and off of? Yeah. Uh, you know, was she on a dive platform? Because, hey, it's a, you've got an uh, an inboard or even an outboard, and you're on the dive platform. That motor is only a couple feet away from your ankle. So if you were on there and somebody started the motor and a boat moved back, you could easily get your ankle in that prop. Yeah. Heck, you could slice your ankle open pretty serious without the prop moving. Something to always be careful of. Yeah, I went to the comment section, and they're just like we are here. <laughs> <laughs> not knowing anything, they've got comment to go up the wall. It's always British tourists. Makes you wonder, what's wrong with Britain? <laughs> oh. Uh. Now there's an easy way to Damn ads. Okay. State of Michigan dives on the Muskegon Duo's LeGriffin claim. Now this is the good one. This is for us. Yeah, it's in our is... neighborhood, our backyard. So in Frankfurt, Michigan... Six months ago, if you remember, and we covered it on the show here, treasure hunters from Muskegon claimed they had discovered the Le Griffin, which they've got to be, what, the 20th group of people that claim to have discovered it? Well, quite a few anyway. And they say it's a holy grail. I don't necessarily know if it's a holy grail. I mean, I think there's other boats that are better. That I guess that one would just be saying the first uh, or one of the earliest. Uh, Tuesday yeah. officials from the state of Michigan dove the wreck, which is located off the coast of Frankfurt, hoping to gather information to determine whether it was indeed the Griffin. The question everybody wanted to know. Yep. So Kevin Dystra and Frederick J. Monroe say they made a dive near Frankfurt in 2001. Three years later, they decided to go public, claiming they may have found the Griffin. The state archaeologists uh, decided that they were going to go and determine. So on Tuesday, the state uh, went for a close-up look 
they're saying that the weather was bad that day. It was uh, flat, which is good if you if you tend to get seasick, but that there was heavy fog. Uh, you had the, let's see, who was it? You had Dean Anderson, state archaeologist, Wayne Lasardi, state of Michigan maritime archaeologist, along with a handful of state police divers. They ventured out in the lake. It took about 25 minutes to reach the wreck site. Two divers donned the scuba gear and made initial dive to investigate the wreck, which had settled about 80 feet deep. Once the diver surfaced uh, with preliminary information, Lasardi and another diver got suited up the side to take the depth to check it out, too. After Lasardi surfaced, the boats return, boasts, boats return to shore, and Lasardi said, It's most definitely not the Griffin. It's definitely 18th or 20th, not 18th, 19th or 20th century American craft. It has steam technology. It's too big to be the Griffin. There's some evidence there that, to the contrary, the Griffin's claim. He went and, and spoke detail about the shipwreck. It's about 80 feet in length, a little over 20 feet in beam with a 10-foot depth hold. Just from those dimensions, we start looking at historic vessels that match about that same size. Sardi said there's some evidence a vessel once had steam technology on it. Most shipwrecks in Michigan are from the later part of 19th century, the earliest 20th century. This one fits right into that era. After scrubbing away some of the zebra mussels attached to the wreck, Sardi made another fascinating discovery. It had burned. Timbers were charred around the waterline, so it may have played a role in its ultimate demise. One of the images Dystra and Monroe used to support their claim was an object covered with zebra mussels, shaped like a griffin's head, located in front of the vessel. Lasardi said the artifact up close investigating Tuesday had a different conclusion. It looked at both the stern, stern and the stern posts, and both were heavily encrusted with mussels. Most of them is, uh, most of what is seen probably in that image is just kind of clumps of muscles that hang together in the side attached to the side of a wooden hull structure. So they're saying that these muscles grouped together and made it kind of appear abstractly like a griffin. I'm curious about a couple of items. One is, why did they use state police divers? Does the state of Michigan have any other divers other than the state police divers? Well, to me, if I went back down, I'm looking at some of uh, the newer pictures. Mm-hmm. Your pictures do not show you the same image as what we're. We're back. We're back. Okay. You said you said that the pictures didn't show the same as. Right. I'm I'm looking at the top picture, which shows the hull in the back or in the front. Doesn't matter. Split into two different sections. And I'm also curious. You know, the bottom is not sandy like ours, and that wreck is sitting on that at 80 feet. The currents there have got to be tremendously different than ours. I'm I'm yeah. agreeing with you. And then you look at the back picture, the last one. Again, mm-hmm. I can see the bottom. It looks hard packed. That, I mean, and you can see the keel, the arc of the keel. That boat's just sitting there. It is sitting on the on whatever that bottom is. Yeah. And by being burned, that would tell me why you don't see any dead eyes because the side rails are gone. Yes, that would that could explain why they didn't see some of the telltale signs of a wreck. But by the same token, I got the bow and I got the stern, stern post rudder. Mm-hmm. If it's not there. And there's evidence of burning, and I can't believe you would not check for that. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't look at it. But either way, hey, they found a wreck. Yeah, it's cool. It's still cool. Heck yeah, I dive it. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of people on the internet who are complaining about it, and uh, you know, I I tend to agree with one aspect: is why do we have to name it the Griffin? Why couldn't it just be a shipwreck until somebody? Confirm? Yeah, and then right. let other people draw the conclusion. You probably got more publicity out of it that way. 
Well, that's like you look on some maps printed by other people, and they've got ours listed as the farmer pending. Yeah. You know, I prefer to see it as Max Rack pending. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what can I say? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And there's there's the history's all full of wrecks that have been misidentified for years. Well, how many times has the Havana or the uh, Chicora been found? <laughs> Firsthand, I don't know, but I'm going to guess more than once. Well, I, I took the companies in our area here and found it once, and it wasn't. And uh, then there was a big claim on it God, uh, 25 years ago that actually got funds and money and shipped to be used. And that turned out to be a uh, scam from the get-go. Also, it was just right from the beginning, it wasn't even right. Absolutely. But he sure had some good presentation skills. And you show him a shot and it's in the water. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean it was here. Ah, yeah, that's true. I mean, outright fraud, you can do a lot, especially in the initial stages. And if it's deep, you're not going to tell the location. Nobody has a clue if you are fudging or not. So anyway, I'm glad it's not the Griffin. So now people can continue. They do have a good wreck behind them, and that'll give the state something to play with. Let's see what they do, since it's obviously in their bailiwick. Yep. And now they can spend their time looking for the gold. Yeah. So how many times do you think the Griffin has been discovered? Four. I think <laughs> it's the official that people have really went out on a limb. Yep. So they said, money. they said since it went missing in 1679, there's been 22 claims made of its discovery. And now that the claim of the Muskegon duo Kevin and Frederick is officially false, only two claims remain unproven. One is a shipwreck hunter, Stephen Liebert, claimed that he found the Griffin in 2001 in northern Lake Michigan near Poverty Island, but the state says it still needs more evidence from Liebert. And there's a Griffin claim made by a lighthouse keeper in Canada's uh, Manitolan Island in 1898 that stood the test of time. And that's in the northeast corner of Lake Huron. And and if I was going to bet, I think that one probably has the best claim that I've seen. I would, I would think so. I would think so. And then another follow-up article. Divers begin to battle invasive lake killer in Lake Muskego Lake, in Little Muskego Lake. So they're going to close the Hillview boat launch until at least July 15th while they fight the invasive species. During that time, scuba divers will pull starry stornwort from the lake bottom as a first step in eradicating the species from Little Muskego. Hillview is near where the algae is concentrated on the west side of the 506-acre lake. Closing the launch will reduce boat traffic in the area, said Tom Reck, president of the Little Muskego Lake District, a government organization with responsibilities to the lake. The decision to close the launch was reached on Monday, June 8th. For safety reasons, to keep the water clarity so boats aren't churning up the water. District recommended boat launch closure. The recommendation must be approved by May Mayor Kathy, was that Charlerati? If we're going to make a termination, we'll make another termination if we extend that, he said by the July 15th date. The most important likelihood the plant is actually transported out of the, another waterway would mostly occur at that launch. They said hand pulling is being tried first, but a more vigorous eradication effort is planned by the Lake District, around 25 people came to the Lake District's regular meeting on June 4th to hear about the eradication plans. There is a lot of interest in what we're doing about this, said Rick, or Rec, saying you guys are doing a great job. People say we need to do more faster. So I just don't, it, it, this doesn't seem practical. I, mean, I was going to say 506 acres, and they're going to try to pull it by hand. Lots of luck there, buddy. 
Not yeah. to mention, uh, it doesn't save the depth. I'd be curious about that because obviously, uh, once you get down in that thermocline area, you're not going to have it. So it's really not a true 506 acres or whatever you'd have to yeah. pull. Yeah. But uh, manually doesn't sound like the way to go. Yeah, I, and you're right. I think about some of the lakes around here. Uh, if you got a, a lake that goes deep fairly quick, you really only have you know 15, 20 feet off the shore. And you can manage something with that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, hope. I mean, hopefully it works out. We'll keep following this one. I'm curious about where they talk about the fight against the species includes the threat of tickets. Boat owners can get tickets for having aquatic plants or invasive species on a boat coming in or out of the lake or while on the road. Fines from 200 to 380 dollars. I'm curious how they do that. I mean, some of the obvious ones when you do have them attached to your propeller, your prop, or whatever. If you do have them attached to your hull, or you've got a mess of them screwed around your your drive. Other than that, where are you going to look for this stuff? I, I think that's just the case. We've all seen somebody who pulled a boat out of a weedy lake and their boat looks like it's the monster from the Black Lagoon's orphan child. Yeah, that I can understand, but that's so freaking obvious. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, you're I don't know. I mean, they're going to swab you for DNA or uh, <laughs> <laughs> the boat, that is. Uh, yeah. I I don't see whether it's I think it's one of those after the fact things. We want to have something we can charge you for yeah. when we determine that something happens. But hopefully they can they can make some sort of impact. But I'm a, I'm gonna be a little skeptical. And then we have a another world record. I think it's not just an attempt. I think he actually did. Egyptian Walla Hafez breaks a record for the longest open saltwater scuba dive. The Egyptian diver set a new Guinness World Record for the longest open saltwater scuba dive of 51 hours and 20 minutes off Egypt's Red Sea Resort. And that was this last Saturday. The dive started on Thursday morning and ended Saturday at 6 p.m. He had consumed 55 tanks of air with the help of 25 divers from different countries, including Germany, Russia, Italy, Netherlands, and Austria. On Thursday, Egyptian diver Ahmed Jabbar had led the biggest dive with 400 divers to clean up the Red Sea's seabed from waste. Oh, so that was another project. And then a total of 300 divers were successful in breaking the world record for diving in the same category set by the UAE. The event was sponsored by the Ministry of Tourism and the Red Sea Governorate. 51 hours. He's the guy that set that record of diving depth of Mm -hmm. 332 meters. Yeah, I, I thought the name was familiar. Uh, I was trying to figure 55 tanks. We had to be relatively shallow for this. And it does look like you use scuba and not a face, full face mask. At least in the in the picture. A lot of times yeah. they, the, I've seen where they'll they'll switch back and forth from it. I think part of that is just so you you, you got to get rubbed raw after a while. Of course, in this photo, doesn't he look like a minion? Yeah. He's obviously <laughs> got a, a, a suck pack, so he's drinking. And just the, the, way, the shot they give him, it looks like he's got mm-hmm. a... A, a dive mask with just one lens yeah, and an Cyclops. eyeball. Cyclops. <laughs> it's got to be warm because he looks like he's in a wetsuit, which is good if you need to do something. Yeah, no hood. And, uh, I wonder what kind of drugs he took to keep him awake. Out of 51 hours, so that's just over two days. Yeah, that's not going to be good. I mean, you can do it, and uh, he was uh, I believe he was military. Well, generally on the ones we've heard here in the States, it's usually with a full face. And they actually did try the snooze and they had a safety diver with them. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if that counts if you were to take like the, like a Lake 16 where you got your little canister of air. Oh, you mean the, the dive shelter? Yeah. 
What if you went up in that? Does that count? Well, I'm thinking that if the part of the record has to deal with open circuit, when you're in that, you're not an open circuit, are you? You're underwater, which you just can't go underwater because you could say same thing being in a, a submarine. That's a big helmet. That's all that was, a big helmet. A big helmet. He's under pressure. Well, I, you know, maybe, uh, and but I'm not Guinness, so I, I can't say, but if you filled that from your own tank, I think it would it should count. Because that would sure facilitate being able to take a little snooze, especially if you had a suspended chair from it. Yeah. So your your upper body was up there. Yeah. They're just recycling. We could do one of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we need to do a podcast. That's that's just what it comes down to. We need to and do we an could episode. Do it there. Because we take the microphone, cable all the way to the surface. You could do that easily. No, yeah, we could. Especially in the ice. Oh, ice dive, yeah. Well, we under the ice. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. And what sounds good about it is we st- we're still at least six months away from doing that. we got plenty of time to plan it. Yeah. And I think we- it's a good idea for you to go down there and talk to us on the water. <laughs> I think we should do it. Something to consider. Yeah. A group of Hernando County students are preparing for a race of a lifetime underwater against some stiff competition. The students from Springfield, Springstead High and Central High have been working on their submarines for two years. One of the quotes is, I can't tell you how many times I have busted my knuckles trying to fit into type spaces, wrenching things, said James Tracy, who's one of the sub's pilots. Last month, they headed up to Washington, D.C. to race their submarines against a few high schools and 30 universities from around the world, exploring the world's engineering and science, and being able to take take it and match it is competitive, James said. We've been out in the Gulf of Mexico a lot lately, lately doing trial runs and practicing. They said the toughest part of the sub wasn't actually working on it, was getting wet, being used to underwater and scuba diving. This is according to student Aaron Tracy. I would have thought that they would have been interested in the more older version of the submarine races. Yeah. <laughs> Teenagers, yeah, they can, the older type uh, would have the it, its own draw. It doesn't look to be that big of a submarine, does it? Oh, they're pretty small because a lot of them are pedal power. Were they riding on the top of them? No, no. Uh, the ones I've seen, you've actually divided you go in it. You've got a clear acrylic dome in the front, so you're prone, so you can use oh, your light. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at that thing. The, it, it looks more like a torpedo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, these are wet subs, then. Or they dry? These are the high school ones. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool project. That's not inexpensive. I, I, I believe you. It doesn't look like it would be inexpensive. Two years of working on it. Nice job. Good thing. Keeps kids out of trouble. Yeah. And we have a Stretton scuba diver determine the increased participation of women. The diver from Stratton has pledged to get more women to take the plunge. Sophie Hemptonstall, 35, is the youngest ever national dive officer for the British Subaquatic Club, which happens to be UK's governing body for scuba diving and snorkeling. Sophie is only the third woman to be appointed to the role in the organization's 61-year history. Based at the Hartford Aquatic Subaquatics Club, Sophie, who's actively partnering with Sport England's This Girl Can campaign, will be focusing her attention on getting more women active. There are a lot of women divers. Some of our clubs have large number of female divers, but our current overall percentage of female divers is 27%, so you'd like more women to join up. I would hope we could get 27%. 27% would be I'll, awesome. I'll take that. You don't even have that in skydiving. You don't no. have that in flying. No, I. That's outstanding. I think they're doing pretty good. I did very good. Yeah. Uh, is it because of our cold water? Uh, I mean, why don't we have more women 
divers? Uh, I don't know. Most of the, the guys I know got it, and they do it with their sons, a bonding. Mm-hmm. I don't do it with my daughter. Obviously, I don't have a son. Uh, maybe that part, and or they don't have an inclination for whatever reason. Now, my, my daughter was interested for about three weeks, and we just didn't happen to be going diving in those three weeks. So she has not been interested again. Now, my son is, now that he can do it, is now back interested in it again. So maybe I can get my daughter the same. Maybe I'll do a twofer, get both of them to go through and do the lessons. Yeah. You see that picture of her, by the way? That remind you of anybody we know? You mean Bob? <laughs> I mean, this, this. I mean, all the gadgets. Yeah, she's, the, the picture uh, Max referring to is she's coming out of the water. She's got a double hose, which to me indicates she's probably rebreather diver. Yeah. In fact, you know, a, a computer. She's got more clips on the front of her with stuff attached to it. You can see a uh, dive flag, uh, not dive flag. Uh, safety sausage. Safety on sausage. Right yeah, on her side. Uh, slate on her wrist. It's like she's got. She's a accumulation of every dive certification they've got. She could look like she could do them all at the same time. You're talking about a couple of dollars and change on that outfit. Oh, yeah. She's she's spent a little bit of money on that. Yeah. It looks like either I thought it was a DPV on her right, but it's actually a sling model. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, 27%, I wish. Very good. I'm glad to see that. Yeah. I mean, great job. The, they figured out. <laughs> let us know what the, the secret is. And I think we've got a fairly female-friendly club. I, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but. Well, you figure we only have three that actively participate. One actively participates in the water. The other will provide surface support in their suits, uh-huh. but they don't they don't physically dive anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's only two that I know who dive, and one it's only in warmer locations. Yeah, and even the visitor we had last week, uh, she's she's uh, she's strictly a warm water diver. Now, was she going to be willing to try it up here, or was she not? Uh, I really don't know. Yeah, so let's, you know, a wetsuit should not prove a I mean, especially if you're not going to go blow the summertime. It's like bath water. It's nice. Especially right now, or the river diving. If you got her in the river diving, that's not bad in the warm weather. Uh, true, other than by the time we're going to get river diving, it's going to be back in September again <laughs> because the vis is shot and the current is way up there. It's still ripping. Well, if you're in uh, Europe, there's a job that, uh, you can do well underwater. The staff at uh, Jesus Green Lebo, uh, claimed to be one of the largest outdoor pools in Europe, has fallen leaves that have become too difficult for them to clear. We realize we just can't hold our breath long enough to get rid of them, so they're going to try and utilize scuba divers. They said we thought a group of scuba divers might be able to help us out, as they know, as they use the indoor pools for training. Any qualified divers clubs wanting free space to train in? We are looking for persons or groups to clean the pool floor of leaves. Do you see how big that pool is? says the outdoor pools managed by the Cambridge City Council and Social Enterprises, GLL. It is just over 90 meters, 290 feet, 95 feet in length, and between 1.2 meters, 4 feet, and 2.5 meters, 8.2 feet deep. It is open between May and September each year. So now, that is a huge pool. doesn't say how wide it is, but it's like a football field so far. Looking at, if that's a photo of the pool, up above, yeah. I'm going to say that's a good 15 meters, the 20 meters across. It could be more. It's hard to tell because yeah. you can see the dive, the dive ladder, the the swimming pool ladder on the other side. Uh, 
when they talk about lap swims, they really mean laps, don't they? Yeah, you're going to get some, put some energy in there. I am surprised, though, they say cleaning the pool bottom or the pool. Most people use the, you know, the little vacuums that are on the bottom on their own. Yeah. And they use the nets just to scoop it out on rails. So I, I'm not sure. Yeah, eight, eight feet isn't super deep, but a lot of residential pools are that deep, and they just use poles. Yeah. But most residentials aren't 300 feet long. <laughs> and then maybe they're just looking for a way of getting somebody to do it. Or to help them. Yeah. How how about this for finding an heirloom? A watch that sank in the warship during World War Two, World War not World War Two, World War One is finding its way back to the family of its owner. A Chester man found the heirloom during a scuba diving ex- expedition in 1918. The John Henry Russell, uh, not the uh, John Henry Russell, was aboard the. Okay, so Mac, here's where we're at. We're at that la- we're at the last article where we had the. They they found the watch, <laughs> so we didn't lose too much time. You've had it off that long? Uh, that long? It's only that was the last article, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you've already talked about shadow divers after that. You no, we've we've talked we've talked about. It. So we'll have to we'll we'll go back and get it. But uh, the, the heirloom was found. It was returned. It was a great thing. I'm sorry, everybody. We had probably about ten fifteen minutes of content. That we're never going to remember how to go and do it all again. So this is going to be a short show. Damn. Oh, my goodness. I hate those. Yeah, but you did a good telling about the new site and stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. I, and then when we had the video, we, we talked, uh, there's, there's going to be a video. Uh, and when I say video is that was the last article. So there was a, let, let me get back up to it. But we'll pretend like we didn't do it already before. That's like if you paint something and you discover it didn't work, and then you just quickly slop it together and it looks like crap. So the video of the week is uh, Scuba Diver uh, Leaves a Cage to High-Five a Great White Shark. So this is a video. Now, I haven't seen it, Mac, but you said you saw it. Yes. It was actually, I mean, the guy was on hookah, and that shark is huge. And I don't mean just long, I mean fat. We we were talking many subs a minute ago. (laughs) He's bigger than any of those. Huge guy. This guy gets out, the mouth goes by him first, and he slaps up up against the belly of the fish, and it's like, what are you doing? Why would you slap up a, I don't know. Maybe it's a saltwater thing. I, I don't know, but then it keeps circling and circling, and I keep looking. That's a hell of a big fish. And if he gets pissed off, that cage is not going to help you. <laughs> You're saying that's like uh, somebody chewing, like my ferret's chewing on a pop can? Well, if he gets serious, he's going to come down from the top, and that's where the guy's going to be. Crunchy outside, chewy inside. And since he was on a hookah-type rig, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what the guy's going to do. You don't really have much of a bailout in that situation. Yeah, but uh, that was, it was interesting. It's worth looking at. And and as one of our uh, club divers said, is uh, this is why I dive in fresh water. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like no. I may be out there in low vis, and a lot of people can't take that, but... There's very little out there that's going to eat me, the, the, even by accident. So how big is the world's largest snapping turtle? Well, the alligator snapper, I saw one the other day um, in a photo, and it was only about 110 pounds. And the biggest one I had seen a picture was was over 260 pounds. 260 pounds? 260, yeah. Oh, wow. That's a freaking big turtle. Yowie. And if you've seen an alligator turtle, they're as ugly as sin. They look like freaking dinosaurs, and uh, yeah, two hundred and sixty pound turtle. Wow, that's, that's a lot of turtle soup. That's a big guy. 
Yeah. And, and uh, I was diving the other day, and I, I did come across a turtle, and I was sort of playing with him. And then I tried to catch him when he wanted to go his way, and I couldn't catch that little sucker. He was swimming a little quicker than you could. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could keep him in sight, but I couldn't gain on him. Yeah. So that video of the week, we're going to put it up on the website. We've got a new website that we are getting ready to go live with. So next week, by this time, you'll be able to see it. So we'll post the video up there so you can see the shark getting the high five. Uh, also going on, we have an interview next week. We had an interview with... Robert Curson, who wrote Shadow Divers, got a new book coming out called Pirate Hunters. It's going to be released this next Tuesday, so watch for it in your local bookstores or your big box reseller or Amazon. It'll also be available. It'll be in hardcover, and then it'll also be an electronic book version. We did an interview earlier today with Robert Curson, and we also had uh, one of the divers from the first book was John Chatterton. And the second book has John Chatterton and John Matera. So John Matera came on the program with Robert Curson and told us about the book and the information behind it. So you'll have to listen next week to hear about that, how that went. So I want to thank them. It was a, I thought it was an excellent interview. I like doing interviews because I get to ask the questions that I like, <laughs> which may not be what you're going to get in the mainstream, but, uh, you know, and I have to ask them if they dive. So you want to hear the answer to that and more. You'll have to listen next week. If you like to follow us, make sure you subscribe to iTunes. We also have a website, www.scubaobsessed.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And you can also get to us on the Twitters, twitter.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And I think that brings us about to the point, Mac, where we were before I realized I, I had stopped the recording. But we're talking about diving, I think. Diving. And I, and I said I hadn't gotten a chance to get in, but I knew that you had. I, I made the sacrifice to uh, to get out there and get wet just so I'd have something to talk about. Actually, we got wet a couple of times, but uh, and that doesn't mean rain. Probably the, the fun ones we had, we uh, did the pier again on uh, Saturday. We had a boat dive off of it. And by the way, the North Pier is now closed. So if you're going to dive the North Pier, you're going to do a shore dive or you're going to do a boat dive. Now, when you say the North Pier is closed, is it because of construction? Construction on the restoration of the lighthouse okay. and the overhead system, the rail, the uh, walkway. That's what they're going to get ready to work on. So you can get up to the the first set of the pier where the blue banisters are. Yeah. But my understanding, you can't go past that. Okay. Now I noticed that uh, somebody had a few golf balls. That's what I meant. We went out, uh, used a zodiac, went out. Uh, we had, believe it or not, it was a shallow three foot swell. You could just watch it go down. It's the kind of day that you do not want to be on the boat anchored if, uh -huh. you're, if you're prone to seasick. Oh, yeah. It's one of those up and down uh, in a rhythmic fashion, down. so you'll barf. <laughs> so, so we all got out. Bob and I took goodie bags. A co-conspirator did not have one, so he could only carry as many as he could put in his cheeks and his hands. I was going to say, you got to put some in your mouth there. Which was 12. <laughs> and uh, Bob, I think, got 90, and I got 160. <laughs> oh, wow. That place was awesome. Fish were every freaking place. Yeah. Now, now all those, I, you know, we need to do a golf ball charter. You, we Like we say, it is not an official dive if you don't find a golf ball. Now, can now can now is there like a ratio if you find 10 in one dive, can you carry over some of those to another dive? We never have taken that. It's like every dive, you got to find any <laughs> golf ball to make an official dive. Yeah. 
I mean, because I wouldn't have to find one forever. <laughs> you, yeah, you've, you've reached your limit. Yes, well, uh, from this year alone, I've halfway filled up another five-gallon bucket. <laughs> Are you getting the, the, the strange stares when you empty the car at home again? Uh, my neighbors knowing up, just look the other way when I'm home. I'm loading my car, they go, oh, God. He's like, poor D's out on the lawn and the side so I could wash him a little bit. I shouldn't have done it. I had to pick him up again. But it was good. Uh, bottom line is the lake on one side was maybe 48 degrees, meaning when you took your gloves off, your hands were going to get chilly. On the river side, 20 degrees warmer. Really? Wow. And that's because you got the lake water or the river water coming out, which is shallower, warmer, come out, hits the side, bingo. Now you got cold water in the lake. Because coming back in, if you looked at the pictures on the club site, mm-hmm. Had a fisherman wave us down. Can you guys help us? Because we were sort of still in semi-wetsuit stuff, or dry suit. He had a leader of fish, six or eight of them, on a 15-foot line. His friend moved his line for him and tied oh. it to the ladder. The ladder goes down about six feet, which is further than he's going to immerse himself in the water. The fish, since they had 15-foot of line, sort of swam up and around and through the rungs of the ladder. <laughs> he was not ever going to get the end of the rope to pull those fish back up. So our our youngest guy on the boat decided to go give a hand, went over, used the rest of the tank of air, came up, said, you got a knife, took it down, kept the damn line, which is what I would have done to begin with, and then brought the, the fish up. And you saw the string. Those were healthy fish. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Those are some pretty respectable finds. Yep. I was hoping they'd at least offer one to them. Yeah. We could have graciously refused, maybe. Yep. So this is on mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And and here, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, that was the second adventure. The one thing I got to notice in this photo is how annoying is it to graffiti on that concrete? Yeah. Already there. And it wasn't there a couple of months ago. No. They they need to sandblast that off. You can't let... Graffiti be there for a minute. That is just plain disgusting. Well, that's the first time I've noticed that because up until this year, I don't think we've ever had graffiti on that outlet part. No. And what we're referring to is the, this is the South Pier. Yes. And the South Pier used to have, uh, it was was a smaller lighthouse than on the North Pier. North Pier is the one you see in all the pictures. If you ever see a picture of St. Joe, Michigan, it's going to have the big lighthouse and the catwalk. The South Pier just has like a little lighthouse and they made it when it fell in that one storm they built this concrete structure and a large pole on it and and it never had a problem and then now somebody and it's not just one somebody this is several groups have gotten out there and vandalized it yeah i I would like to be out there because with my my gopro i would definitely be videoing whoever was doing it yeah yeah but on the way back in we were watching another boat similar to ours that had a blue light on it stopping people to check registration Ah. just finished talking, Bob had said, you know, I haven't been stopped in a long time. And that's when the gentleman in the front says, well, you might want to stop the boat because the blue light's behind you, and it ain't Kmart. (laughs) And we had pictures of that. They came on board, checked out registration, we were legal and all that. They've been stopping in here, and so Bob doesn't feel bad. Everybody who's been in a boat has gotten stopped this year. They started early season hitting all the fishermen now they're ignoring the fishermen and going against the recreational people so jim cleman's gotten stopped you know here's bob anybody i know who's got a boat has been stopped this year and they're doing safety inspections so they're looking for flotation devices 
Uh, and what they got Bob on was what they got Jim on, too. Both of them had flares, but they were just expired, like less than six months. But as long as you're on the river, that's not a violation. It's only when you're on the big lake. Right. And and they're really not doing it to write you tickets or be safe. So uh, I'm not aware of anybody who's actually gotten a, a fine. The most I've seen has been a warning so far. Yeah. They're also looking for people who are partaking of the alcohol. Yes. And they've I think they've even lowered the limit a little bit. So it's the same as driving a car, I believe. Yeah. So after we finished with that, the third item was, uh, we, and we took a couple of pictures of the uh, offloader of the freighter. And we had noticed how heavy it was when we started and went out and how much it had lightened up by discharging its cargo, like seven foot. Wow. Uh, that was interesting. Of course, we waved to them. They waved to us. And, of course, Bob was honking his horn in a vigorous fashion as he passed them. <laughs> now, this is before he got pulled over by the Coast Guard? No, no this is after after we finished the Coast Guard. Oh. They were going by, the, by where they uh, do the offloading. But it was a good day. Excellent. And then uh, I went over to uh, Gull Lake did the SAS dive, and uh, Mr. Curtis was there. They had 28 divers. They had a very nice turnout, and it was find the dead cow night. Dead and, cow? Uh, yeah, find the dead cow. And uh, I have a picture. I'll be posting that on the club site later. And uh, Curtis was with the two people, and one of the two people he was with is the one who recovered the cow. So you bring that in, and they, it was like a potluck with one steak. And the person who brought the cow back got the steak. Oh, so he had steak, Chris of his head, hot dog. But I had no like hot dog. So that was good. And um, I did get some more pictures of different items that probably hasn't been seen before. And matter of fact, I sent you one as a precursor. Your your email should have got to you. Okay. Well, let me take a look. Okay. Because uh, I've been making a point to uh, take pictures of friends we meet on the bottom. And if you've seen the ones we posted from like uh, Lake, Gull, 16. Lake, Lake 16 and other ones, you'll see like the skeleton and the zombie. And so here's a different one of a, a kinder vent. Did it, did it come up for you? Uh, it's spinning right now, and oh, it's so small. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm down. I'm oh, here we go. <laughs> so what is it? That is is that a gnome in a wetsuit? That's a gnome in a wetsuit. Pretty good size. That or a small <laughs> small person. But that's the eye shanty. At the base of it, I have a picture of that. It's got park benches on two sides of it. It's got a campfire in the bottom of it. And the porta potty, people keep moving it around, whoever needs it. Whoever needs it. You'll find it around that. But you'll notice the little gnome is there and all outfitted. And I got a good close-up, and he's really furry with algae and stuff right now. But he still has air in his tank, according to the gauge on him. Wow. I've, you know, I have not seen any of this before. Ah. Well, you take a look at the club site. I'll be doing some pictures of that. The uh, Basically, you call the sound booth or the telephone booth. Got some nice ones. Now, have you ever been on the platform out there at Gull Lake? People say, what platform at Gull Lake? I've, I've been on the, the one that's like Chainmail. Yes. Yeah, yeah I've been on I, that. And you've seen the boat to the left of it. Uh, Probably. The very big boat to the left of it. Oh, very big boat? I don't remember a big boat. Yeah, and uh, they cleaned off the motorcycle from a couple of weeks ago. So we were, and, and the visibility was very, very good. The thermoclines were very manageable. You didn't start getting chilly until you were below 40 feet. Uh, it was a good dive. A lot of fish, and I do have a, a, a part of a, a picture I was hoping would be longer, but I, I met my first saber-tooth perch on that Sa dive. Wow. Yep, I got down at 10 feet, and that one fish did not like me in his domain. 
<laughs> and he physically attacked me repeatedly. And he goes right for your face. And I got the camera out trying to beat him off with it. I got one good picture and I stopped framed it. And that's his mouth is over my camera lens. Really? You can, see, you can see eyeballs and lips up to my camera. So I'll have to post that one. Yeah, so you're harassing the fish. Where's the DNR? Uh, what can I harass the fish? Injuring divers. <laughs> if he had big teeth, I'd have been in trouble. That's all I got. Yeah. Fresh water, I keep telling you. Uh, but it was a good day, uh, good visibility, in, in, in spite of having that many people out there, including classes, dive classes. So if you're in our neighborhood, go Lake is a guy to go to. It was a lot of fun. Didn't get home till late. But. Very cool. So some good dives. It's getting to be that time of the year. Yep, and I think we got two scheduled for this weekend. You got one for Magician right mm -hmm. now, and you got another one for maybe the Havana based on how the lake is going to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to shoot for the Havana one. If I can get a spot in a boat and clearance from the family to go. I will wait a little bit for my decision, but I will be wet this week, yeah. Yeah, I've, and the way I know I'm going to go diving is I took everything out of the car. My, just so if you're in Michigan and you're aware, my daughter is now driving on the roads. So that was those danger signs I saw as I drove through Berrien? Yeah, the, the, the flares and caution signs, that's all. Okay. Because she's diving. Yeah, have you, oops. The very, very local news. If you've been through Berrien Springs recently. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the <laughs> yeah, I they, think they did that to slow her down, though. Yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, we got a sewer project going on in Berrien Springs, and from 90% of the town has to be tore up. You, you, It's crazy. And if you, southbound, you can get through northbound's a detour. Crazy. Well, we'll find out again when we go to the club meeting next week. Yeah, club meeting next week. Yep, Tuesday. Tuesday. Excellent. Let's see, what else? You got anything you need to plug? No, my only comment, though, if you're out there and you're not diving, I'm really, somebody tell me why you're not diving. Yeah. It's, it's not going to get any better than this, people. And, and if you're looking for a dive partner, time to make one. I don't mean make them the old-fashioned way. I mean find somebody who wants to dive and encourage them to get in the class and mentor them and get them yeah. diving. It is, it's great. If you got family members, get them to dive. That's one I'm going to be working on. And I need, in fact, I was hoping to get uh, that Jim would be here, and I need to get Discover Scuba going for the scout troop. So you're you're going to buy him gear and all that? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think. Uh, well, my kids, I I may. Yeah. yeah. May, I mean, I may. I mean, I'll, I'll, you can adopt me if you want. If you're going to give me some gear, <laughs> I'll dive with you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. I think. Even though my son has a lot more money than I do, it seems lately. His uh, he sold his smoker trailer, and after the show, Mac, I'll tell you what he's buying. It's, I just know uh, it's already June, and we haven't been out mowing the lawn one darn bit. We haven't. Well, let's put some dates in the calendar. I've got some. I need to start burning up some vacation time. Well, dates on the calendar usually have to go through Mother Nature, and she usually doesn't broadcast very well. Really? Yeah. We we just we need we need to. I need I need I want to uh, as I was. Uh, doing the interview earlier today. I mean, the difference between people who find and those who don't is they look. Yeah. So you, you got to get out, do mow the lawn, and uh, you know, you're, you're going to enjoy that because he, I, I was able to pull some tips on how they they find what they do. So that will be next week. All right. So did you find the joke of the week? I do have a joke for the week. Excellent. And this one was provided by Jim, who's not here. It was so bad he couldn't even show up. So here we go. 
A husband and wife are shopping at their local big box retailer. The husband picks up a case of Miller Lite and puts it into the cart. What do you think you're doing? Asked the wife. They're on sale. Only $10 for 24 can, they replied. Put them back. It's a waste of money, demands the wife. So he does, and they continue on shopping. A few aisles further along, the woman picks up a $20 jar of face cream and puts it in the basket. What are you doing? Asked the husband. It's my face cream. It makes me look beautiful, replies the wife. His husband retorts, so does 24 cans of Miller Lite, and it's half the price. And then she... Knocked him flat, and there's a cleanup on aisle 12. Yeah, I he's, didn't say how long he was married. I'm, I'm, I can't think it was all that long. Yeah, he'll learn. Yeah. Yes, dear, love it. Uh-huh. So until next week... Go out there and get wet. And stay safe. completed thanks everybody who's in the chat room i kind of missed it a little bit we have i fly boy adoba and st louis sam i heard more people talking about the uh the air show the air show yeah the experimental get together up in wisconsin oh the eaa yes <clears throat> a good time is going to be had they're gonna have a b-52 bomber up there that'll be one of the first times most people have got a chance to take a look at one That'll be outstanding. They're going to have a B-29. I think there's only one flying. And they're going to be having flights in B-17s and three-motor or the tri-motor Fords. Uh-huh. That's a little salty, though. They're going to run you about 400 450 bucks each. Wow. Uh, P-51 ride will cost you about fifteen or $1,600. Oh. So they're a little salty, but, man, I mean, you, there's just not that many of them, and... Actually, when when are you gonna get another chance? Yeah, you're not. No, if they let me jump it for that price, I might consider it. Oh, a jump! So, what what would be your ideal jump? What if if you had a plane that they were gonna let you jump out of? The space shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> you could jump out of it. It's only it's it's uh, attached to the ground, and it's only about four feet from the top step. Man, that guy who from what Microsoft that just did that another jump. Oh man, I would do that in a heartbeat. If you're going to go, what a hell of a way to go. <laughs> no, I can honestly say I'd, I'd probably scare the piss out of me, and they'd have to have a real good um, uh, system that I could evacuate myself. But uh, I, I think I'd give that a shot in a heartbeat.